Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast available every morning on Apple, Spotify or wherever you listen. It's Thursday the 22nd of February in London. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, shares in the AI giant NVIDIA surge on yet another eye-popping sales forecast. One of Goldman Sachs' high flyers leaves as reports suggest that others have also threatened to quit. And we look at why a $2.3 billion rail project spanning three African countries has more to do with the growing EV battle between the US and China than you might think. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Shares in the AI chip giant NVIDIA surged in late trading, jumping by as much as 11% after the firm delivered another eye-popping sales forecast. The world's most valuable chip maker says revenue in the current period will come in at a better-than-expected $24 billion. Fourth quarter results also sailed past Wall Street estimates, adding fresh momentum to a firm whose value has already increased by more than $400 billion this year. NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang says the future looks even brighter. We guide one quarter at a time, but fundamentally the conditions are excellent for continued growth, calendar 24 to calendar 25 and beyond. And let me tell you why. We're at the beginning of two industry-wide transitions. NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang, they're referring to on the firm's earnings call to a transition from general to accelerated computing and the shift to generative AI. Huang also says that demand for NVIDIA's newest products will continue to outstrip supply for the rest of the year. Now, minutes from the last Federal Reserve meeting show that most officials remained worried about the impact of cutting interest rates too soon. A summary of the January gathering showed policymakers want to see more evidence that inflation is firmly on a path to 2% before they begin easing. Bloomberg's chief US economist, Anna Wong, says that the minutes reveal why the Fed is leaning towards higher for longer. They have been surprised by how strong the economy is relative to what they expected. And recall that a couple days before the FOMC meeting in January, they received the Q4 GDP number, which really surprised to the upside. And I think based on that assessment, they're thinking that maybe the neutral rate is in fact higher than what they thought. Bloomberg's chief US economist Anna Wong there. The minutes were published as two Fed policymakers also weighed in publicly on the issue. Thomas Barkin says that recent data highlighted how price pressures in some sectors are still too high, whilst Michelle Bowman says that the time to cut interest rates, quote, is certainly not now. She was once tipped for the role of CFO at Goldman Sachs, but Beth Hammack is leaving the Wall Street giant after 30 years. She was most recently co-head of Goldman's global financing group. Her departure leaves behind a small cohort of women in senior roles at the company, which has never had a woman appointed to the role of chair, chief executive officer, president or CFO. It comes as the Financial Times is reporting that two other top investment bankers are threatening to leave the firm after being excluded from a new operating committee. 
Now to some UK news. The Labour Party has managed to avoid a divisive vote on Gaza as the House of Commons descended into chaos yesterday, leaving the Speaker of the House of Commons fighting for his job. Bloomberg's James Wilcock has more. There was fury in the House of Commons last night, but not at the issue being debated, the situation in Gaza. This rage was directed towards the Speaker of the House, Lindsay Hoyle. He changed parliamentary procedure, which gave Labour a way to avoid a Scottish National Party trap. SNP leader Stephen Flynn was incandescent. That is treating myself and my colleagues in the Scottish National Party with complete and utter contempt. And I will take significant convincing that your position is not now intolerable. The whole affair ended with a miserable Hoyle trying to draw a line under the affair. And I say again, I thought I was doing the right thing and the best thing and I regret it and I apologise. Despite the apology, the Speaker faces a motion of no confidence in his role later today. In London, James Wilcock, Bloomberg Radio. One in four UK childcare providers could close in the next year, according to a new report. The news comes as nurseries and preschools battle with rising costs. Bloomberg's Tiwa Adebayo has the details. Billed as part of a master plan to boost productivity and get women into the workplace, government plans to increase access to childcare may be backfiring. Research by the Early Years Alliance has found providers are struggling to keep up with wage rises and expanded free care without extra support. The situation is so bad that 80% of operators plan to push up fees in response. The cost of childcare is a problem that has plagued working parents for a number of years. Separate research from parental support organisation Pregnant Then Screwed showed that a third of parents who qualify for early years funding are considering quitting their jobs or working fewer hours to cope with the expense. According to Early Years Alliance CEO Nick Leach, it's a problem that's reached breaking point. He says it's vital that the government acknowledges and recognises the scale of the crisis we are in and takes definitive action. In London, Tiwa Adebayo, Bloomberg Radio. Manchester United's new shareholder, billionaire businessman Jim Ratcliffe, has asked fans for patience as he tries to help the English club return to the pinnacle of the football world. The Ineos CEO, who paid £1.25 billion for a close to 28% stake in the club and also control over football operations, says that he wants an overhaul, starting with plans for a new stadium. Here's what he told MUTV. We do need to look at the way forward for the stadium, the redevelopment of that stadium. There are clearly you know, two roads we could take. We could refurbish the existing stadium or we could, we could look at building a new stadium and that's, um, that's what we're looking at at the moment. Jim Ratcliffe says that he expects to announce a new task force next week with a possible plan for the redevelopment around the new stadium. Now, in a moment, we'll dig into the blockbuster results and really is a word that is earned for NVIDIA's results. Uh, We'll also uh, bring you the story about what is happening in Africa, a new railway line, how the US is trying to wrestle back influence in the region from China. And of course, it's all around uh, critical resources for electric vehicles and and batteries. So uh, that story in just a moment. But first, this caught our eye 
on the Bloomberg terminal. Yeah, our opinion columnist Dave Lee spotted a new addition to the Apple universe yesterday. Mm -hmm. It's a new sports app, which has, as you might expect, live scores, stats for various teams. It doesn't include any of the top European football leagues. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have the NFL or Major League Baseball in the US. So... Dave Lee is wondering in his latest piece what exactly Apple is up to. Uh, Now, they do have Major League Soccer on it in the US. Those matches are on Apple TV. So perhaps that's one reason why Apple has chosen to launch into this. But what Dave is drawing attention to is that when you open any particular match in the app, the first thing that you see is a betting panel. Could this be perhaps a move that Apple might be getting into online sports betting? You can't Mm. bet in the app at the moment. It's just there for information. But it might point to perhaps a future direction as to why Apple's taken this move, given that they have so many competitors in this field and and don't currently have the data on many of the world's most popular sports. So now that we've had US gambling laws loosened, perhaps this is something... Dave Lee writes that might be Apple might be interested in getting into. I mean, perhaps the UK is a word of caution. I mean, you know, if you um, like gambling, that that's a, a great thing. But in the UK, there has been a real explosion in terms of of gaming and gambling in Britain. So you know. Um, it's still a fairly kind of controversial issue, which which Dave points out. He says it, he calls it a surprising move because, to Dave Lee's mind, it would seem to run counter to the brand image that Apple has painstakingly built over the past several decades. You know, um, can you bring gaming gambling into the sort of mainstream on Apple? But no, it was a nice spot by Dave Lee of this new product. Indeed. Well, let's turn to our top story this morning, NVIDIA shares surging post-market after delivering another sales forecast that beat consensus revenue. Uh, In this period, the company says, will be about $24 billion, a sign that it continues to benefit from massive demand for its AI-related products. Joining us now for more is Bloomberg's tech editor, Vlad Savov. Vlad, great to have you with us. Just talk us through the, the scale of this. How strong are this set of results? Well, it's really difficult to properly encapsulated just because for at least four quarters now, more than a year, NVIDIA has far and away surpassed all estimates. And when you have that run, by this quarter, expectations were already sky high. And yesterday we're having a conversation, can NVIDIA possibly match, let alone exceed them? And it's done it again. And just for a bit of context, of the $24 billion uh, of sales that NVIDIA had, only 2.9 billion were in the traditional business that he came up in, gaming GPUs. So that used to be the bulk of his business only a few years ago. Now it's just a fraction. Yeah, and the CEO Jensen Wang, you had a little bit of it earlier, saying that AI demand has hit the tipping point. What do you think he means by that? Well, I'm not entirely sure because it isn't a tipping point insofar as we've reached the peak and now it's going to start tapering off. Really, NVIDIA's demand issues are how it satisfies that demand. For the longest time, he was the biggest advocate. He was saying, this is the future, AI is the future, you need to get on board with this. But it wasn't really there. ChatGPT and everything that OpenAI and its competitors have done has triggered a rush for everybody to jump on board. Now he's no longer the futurist who's telling you what's going to happen. He's the person trying to figure out how to ensure smooth supply of these chips. So when it says tipping point, I mean, maybe it's less extreme than it was in the past, but it's still really high demand. 
were there any concerns signalled by NVIDIA in terms of capacity and their ability to deliver to this massive demand? Right. Well, this is an ongoing thing. And the biggest bottleneck that NVIDIA faces is uh, so-called advanced packaging. It's the final uh, processes that put together the chip before it gets added to a graphics card and then gets bundled into a bigger product. Um, NVIDIA's uh, sole supplier for these chips is TSMC over here in Taiwan. Um, they have said that it's going to be, at least for the rest of this year, they're going to have constrained uh, capacity for advanced packaging. Once that clears out, um, they're going to obviously increase capabilities and production capabilities. I actually don't see it clearing out in terms of just demand dwindling because, again, when you look at even NVIDIA's close competitor, which is AMD, they are saying, and they are, again, ahead of estimates in terms of their own AI accelerators and sales in the coming quarters. Yeah, okay. Um, So then, I mean, the other story is to kind of zoom out and look at the sector overall. I mean, other AI-related stocks have also seen their share price boost. Is that on expectations for the sector overall? Yes, exactly right. I mean, NVIDIA is clearly far and away the biggest beneficiary, but NVIDIA, like I say, it contracts with TSMC. So, all those ships need to be made, and TSMC is making uh, good money out of those. Then you have the likes of SK Hynix, who is the key partner to NVIDIA for providing the memory chips that go with NVIDIA's own chips. you got ARM Holdings that has rocketed over the past few months, again, on the strength of AI expectations and hopes. Everyone in the more consumer and end-user product market is now starting to talk about selling AI smartphones and AI PCs, whether that's just marketing or genuine AI advances. So there is, uh, I don't think that the terms craze and frenzy are too much for this. There is just insatiable appetite, both for stocks and for more AI hardware. Okay. Our tech editor, Vlad Savov, thanks so much for joining us. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Now, uh, let's pivot then from the world of AI and tech to railways. A $2.3 billion rail project that spans three African countries could be critical to delivering the electric vehicle revolution. Bloomberg reporters have been travelling across Angola and Zambia on the 122-year-old Lobito Railway, interviewing more than a dozen executives and officials for this special report on the US's efforts to compete with China in Africa on EVs. And joining us to discuss this is our Africa correspondent covering Mozambique and Zambia, Matthew Hill. Matthew, good morning. Thank you so much for your time. This is a deep dive piece with beautiful photography uh, and you can see a, a little snippet of the railway also. You've got a great map on the piece about where these railway lines run from Africa's copper belt out to the coasts and, and why they're so important. Yeah, it's fascinating to see how you've got all these minerals that have become so crucial to the world's energy transition smack bang in the middle of Central Africa. Um, And now you've got the Lobito Corridor, which the US government and the EU are backing running out westwards to Africa's Atlantic coastline in Angola. Um, 
Well, at the same time, the Chinese government is looking at spending over a billion dollars in refurbishing a completely separate railway line that runs from the Copper Belt to, but out eastwards to the Indian Ocean coastline on Africa. So talk us through these competing sets of investments then, because we've talked for many years about the amount of Chinese investment into parts of Africa as well. So it's particularly interesting that the US and the EU are getting involved in this line. Exactly. Um, And we've already seen the US International Development Finance Corp committing $250 million to the existing line, the existing Lobito line running through Angola. a consortium that includes the commodity trader Traffic Euro says it will spend about $555 million to increase the capacity of that line. Um, and then there's another planned connection running southeastwards into Zambia into, to connect the mines in Zambia to the Lobito railway line. And we've got the the African Development Bank saying it will contribute half a billion dollars to that of a total project that is estimated at $1.6 billion. The US and the EU are financing the feasibility study for that new project too. Hmm. I mean, is it really needed though? And is are the companies going to use it? Because these aren't always um, easy places in which to do business or in which to operate railway lines. That's a great question. And I'll I'll start off by answering just with a tidbit from the past. The, the Lobito railway line was actually cru- of crucial importance to the US before. The uranium that went into the Manhattan Project actually traveled across that railway line to the, to the port of Lobito. Um, but certainly there is some skepticism now whether the the newly refurbished railway line that's run by private operators will be cost effective. Um, but Ivano Mines, which is building a giant copper clump complex in Congo, Africa's biggest, has already signed up to be a long-term, a big long-term user of this line, along with Traffic Euro that, w- that was signed this month. Um, Congo's mining industry is growing at a, a very rapid rate, and Zambia has massively ambitious plans too for its copper mining industry. And if this momentum continues, the people that I've spoken to say that the infrastructure will definitely be needed. Um, just quickly looking at how people um, currently get, how mines currently get their copper to port. Um, a lot of that goes by by truck down to the port of Durban in South Africa, which is about 3,000 kilometers away. Um, and it can take more than a month to make that journey. Lobito on the railway, averaging about five days so far. So that gives you a bit of an idea. What, what about China's response to this? You mentioned that they're funding a separate railway. Are they going to be in direct competition? Exactly. We've seen already this month um, China making a proposal to the Zambian and Tanzanian governments to revive the old Tazara railway line that Mao Zedong financed and helped to build back in the 1970s. That runs in the exact opposite direction to Lobito and ends at the Dar es Salaam port in Tanzania. Um, And essentially, these two railway lines will compete. Mm. 
How do you think then um, of all of this huge amount of investment, African nations win? Because, you know, you're teasing at what is competition, perhaps conflict between great powers on the continent of Africa. African countries like Zambia, Congo and Angola can only benefit from this competition, Um, not only in terms of increasing the efficiencies of their mining industries, but also, as the U.S. government points out, um, having a much more efficient link to markets will help agricultural producers in um, a part of the world that has very fertile soils and very underutilized soils. Um, it can also help boost industrialization by lowering costs and also increasing efficiencies. So the government of Zambia and Congo want more um, value added to their metals in countries. Um, they both want to start developing battery industries. And when you've got much more efficient infrastructure connecting to markets, that can only help. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 11.30. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, A thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.